I'm talking to you about perfect peace. How many need peace in your life? Amen. I think we're all there that we need peace and we desire peace in our life. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 1, it says, In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. I love that name. I have a son named Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace. I want everybody to say perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You may be seated. How many of you have been here have ever wished for a better place and a better time? That we've gotten into a day and you've said or thought to yourself, I'm just so ready for this day to be over. Or maybe it was a week in your life that you could not just wait till that week that it would come to the end. Or maybe it was a season or even a year to life that you were wishing that it would just come to a completion. Because we've all wished for better and brighter days ahead of us. We've wished for the blue, the blue skies and the sunny days in the midst of the stormy times. See, this is where Israel is in this instance as Isaiah is writing this passage. See, this passage is sandwiched right between a, a time of exponential idolatry where uh, it's sandwiched in a time where Judah and Israel are actually fighting one another. And there's just idolatry that is everywhere. And as Israel comes to war against Judah during this time, and one day as Israel is fighting against Judah, Israel slaughters 120,000 men of valor in Judah in one day. Now to put that in perspective, in World War II, the USA lost 400,000 men in a six-year period. Israel in one day wipes out 120,000 men of valor from Judah. Not only do they kill all of those men, but they kill the king's prefect, the commander of the palace, the king's son, and over 200,000 people were taken captive in this one-day battle. You talk about a time of fear, a time of uncertainty, that would be like waking up tomorrow and over one-third of Jacksonville being gone, whether they were killed or led into captivity. What if you woke up tomorrow morning and went to work and one out of three co-workers didn't show up? Some of you might say hallelujah, depending on who it was at work. But this is written between King Ahaz and King Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And during this time, there was idol worship ever under every tree. It says actually under every green tree there were idols. Ahaz was a wicked, wicked ruler. And he had destroyed the vessels of the house of God. And he had shut up the doors to the temple of God. He had put altars to false gods on every corner of Jerusalem. And with all of the death from Israel and the wars that they were fighting and all of the idolatry that was rampant around them, it seemed that God had completely turned his back on Judah. See, this was not a time in human history you would want to pick to raise your family. This is a disastrous time in world history. Yet there is a prophet named Isaiah that prophesies of a time to come. Because church, when it's hard to live in the day that you're living in, you got to resolve yourself to live for a time that's coming. See, I'm about to preach because there are just some times and seasons that are disastrous in life. Some days that are hard to live in. Some days that you want to give up. Some days that you want to throw in the towel. But you got to remember that when it's hard to live in the day that you're currently living in, you got to resolve yourself to live for a time that's coming. We just can't give up. We just can't throw in the towel. we got to realize that there are better and brighter days ahead of us with our Lord and Savior. Paul said we got to walk this thing out by faith and not by sight. Meaning we have to live for the time of the promise. The promise that God has given you in your life. He said in Romans that the present trials of this life are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want to let that sink in for a second. The present trials do not compare. 
the trials aren't even in the same league. Now, I don't want to minimize what you're going through, but I do want to maximize the God that you serve. Because that's how the present trials of this life don't compare to the glory that's coming in. Because sometimes we magnify the trials and minimize our God when we need to realize that these present trials can't compare to a maximum size God. He says that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now some of you tonight have been on the grind for years. Going through affliction. And you feel like giving up. But my Bible says hold on because what you thought was draining your present is actually filling up your eternity. I'm going to say that again. What you thought was draining your present reality is actually filling up your eternity. Because the things that are wearing you out on this earth are filling and completing your eternity. He says the light momentary affliction is preparing an eternal weight of glory. That means the troubles, the trials that we face on a daily basis are refining for us an eternal weight of glory in heaven. So the people that we have to do life with that drive us crazy and they test our salvation and they sanctify us and we feel that they are just emptying us out is actually just filling up our eternity. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. As we look not to the things, verse 18 says, that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know what that means? We can't focus on what we see. we got to focus on what we don't see. And that seems impossible to focus on what we don't see. That's just meaning to walk by faith and not by sight, which is faith that pleases God. Though there may be weeping in the night, my Bible says that joy comes in the morning. And this is exactly what Isaiah is saying in chapter 25, that in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the terror, the peril, and the tragedy... In the midst of a day that is hard to live in, he writes in chapter 25 that he will exalt God for he has done wonderful things. Done is in the past tense. So meaning in the midst of your tribulation and your trial when it is hard to praise him for your present, he has done means praise him for your past. That even when you don't see a reason to praise him in your present, you got to look back over the past about how God has been faithful for where he has brought you from. Praise him for the walls that have fallen in the past. Praise him for the trials that he has brought you through in the past. When you don't see any reason to praise him right now in this moment of affliction, look over the past and realize that God has been faithful in every season, in every circumstance. When you are in a low spot, a tough spot, you got to praise him. What the devil doesn't realize is that as believers, we are like springs. That the more we get pushed down, the more you should coil up. You see, you didn't know it, but like as a Christian, you're like a jack-in-the-box. The devil can be over there just twirling you around, just twirling and twirling and twirling. But you don't realize that as you're twirling that jack-in-the-box, it's compressing the coils, getting ready to launch that thing right out of that box. And as it does, it launches you into your divine destiny. And what God is doing, he's allowing you to be wound down. He's allowing you to be pushed down. But there's going to come a moment, like it did with Job, when God says, all right, devil, enough is enough. Get your hand off and allow him to spring forth and God is going to bring the victory Isaiah said he has been a stronghold to the poor the needy and those in distress a shelter from the storm a shade in the heat that God his God not a little g but his God will swallow up death forever that he's going to wipe away every tear from their face he will take away the reproach of his people and that they will praise him and be glad in his salvation. Tonight I'm talking about perfect peace because if we are going to have perfect peace, we got to have confidence in the God who alone can bring that perfect peace. Listen to what Isaiah writes. He says, in that day, in verse 1, there will be sung a song in the land of Judah. You know what? It's not normal. Is that as you're in the midst of a trial, it's not normal to have a song. It's not normal to sing. 
And when you think about what Israel is going through with the massacres and all of the brokenness and all of the idolatry, how dare this prophet raise up and say, I've got a song to sing. But Isaiah says a song will be sung. Sometimes you just got to sing. Sometimes you just got to get a song in your soul. You see, you may be sitting at a red light, and you just got to let it loose. It doesn't matter what the people in the car are sitting beside you are thinking, because they don't know the hell that you are going through. You got to start singing about the victory, even though it may be a long way off. You got to let a song rise up in your soul and begin to sing. How many of you have ever pulled up to a red light before, and you've seen somebody over there just wilding out in their car singing a song? I was sitting in the car yesterday preparing my sermon, getting the Holy Ghost and getting the victory while my wife was in shopping. And I watched some people walk by just kind of looking in as I'm typing out, praising and worshiping. And they're just looking in and, and wondering. But I remember my wife and I, we, we, we rolled up to um, out in the Oak Leaf up to, in front of Ross a couple of weeks ago. And as we did, we saw this girl that was just going crazy in her car. Now, I don't think she was getting the Holy Ghost listening to Drake, but sometimes we got to do the same exact thing. That we don't care what other people may be thinking about. We just got to get our jam on. We just got to fill it. And we got to let the presence of God overtake us in the midst of our circumstance, in the midst of our situation, and praise Him for the things that He has done in our past and what He's going to do in the future. He says we have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Does anybody in here know what a bulwark is? See, I didn't either. I just knew you weren't supposed to combine bull with other words. I remembered always hearing these phrases and hymns that I didn't understand. I remember sitting over here on the front row one time with grandma and granddad when he was, a, uh, when he was alive. I, I leaned over and I said, granddad, what's a bulwark? And he just kind of looked at me and shrugged his shoulders. And I said, all right, if he doesn't know it, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> and so I did a little research. I did a little research. And as I was looking into it, a bulwark is a wall. But it's not just any kind of wall. It's a defensive wall. So Isaiah is singing that God sets up salvation as walls and defensive Walls. The prophet is not just saying this, but he's singing it in a city in a time when all of those who are around him are depressed and downtrodden within. And the people who are there, they're looking outside the walls and they're seeing that the Assyrians are out there ready to defeat them. And he's singing that God sets up salvation like walls and bulwarks. You see, the king of Assyria was coming up to their walls at this time and was saying to them, who do you think your God is? None of the gods of the other nations, King Sennacherib is telling this to all of Judah and Hezekiah. He's saying none of the gods of the other nations have delivered them. Who do you think your God is to deliver you? Sennacherib says Hezekiah has torn down all of the altars of all of these false gods around here. But what Sennacherib didn't know he was doing was in the destruction of the false gods, Hezekiah was consecrating himself to the one true God. What Sennacherib didn't realize, that he was to be, being defiant of the one true God. And when you're defiant, it always breeds defeat. Right? Ask Goliath. He was saying, who are these, the gods of the, the living armies? Are, and he began to deny or defy Israel and defy the living gods of the armies of Israel. And he did not realize in his defiance, it was breeding his defeat. So be careful when your negativity tries to come on you. And you think, no, this is too big for God to do. He might have been able to do it in other people's life. Or, oh, I saw that other person that's a saint fell in that tragedy and God didn't deliver them. Because your defying of what God can do will just breed your defeat feet in your situation. So what Hezekiah is doing is he's tearing down all of the false gods, the, the broken things, and he's consecrating himself to the one true God. See, Hezekiah is on the inside positioning himself for victory. Outside, it may look like all hell is breaking loose. The world might be trying to kill you. The odds might not be in your favor, and life might be a mess. But if you on the inside of yourself, it might be outside there's brokenness. But if on the inside, if you would get on the inside and just start consecrating yourself. 
tearing down the false things, consecrating yourself to the one, and getting rid of the wickedness, breaking down some altars. The Bible says, eye has not seen nor ear has heard what God is going to do and has in store for you. So Sennacherib is over here defying the living God and setting himself up for defeat while Hezekiah is consecrating himself, positioning himself for victory. And while this is going on, there's a prophet named Isaiah on the inside prophesying, saying, we have a strong city. Think about this. The Assyrians have besieged all of their city. They're around them. They're outnumbered. And Isaiah is on the inside saying, we have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls. He sets up bulwarks. He sets up defensive walls. You know what he's doing? He's speaking the things that aren't as though they He's speaking the things that aren't as though they were. Even though it didn't look like it was a reality to them, he's trusting and believing in God. Because Isaiah knows that as I wait for the Lord, Psalms 130 says, my soul waits and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. He knew that he had to wait on God. And as he would wait on God, God would bring about deliverance. He would set up salvation to be your defense. He would set up bulwarks in your behalf so that you would trust and just wait on him. And as you trust in him, it says, you will keep him in perfect peace. Verse 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I'm talking about perfect peace. Not that hippie peace, not that flower child, free spirit, nonconformist peace of the 1960s, not the peace, love, and happiness, but peace that is perfect peace in a hard place. You see, some of you were raised in the 1960s, and the problem with the 1960s peace was you had to hallucinate to have peace. You had to take something, you had to ingest something, you had to inhale something. But that was all temporary because after a couple hours it would wane away and you just have to go back for another hit. Tonight I'm talking about perfect peace because all of that other stuff is a false sense of peace. I remember being in Antigua on a mission trip and Pastor Sean isn't here with me, he's already out in Houston. But one day we were walking back to our room. We were staying in a large area and we had about a 10 minute walk to our room from the gate of where we were staying at the security compound to where our room was. And as we were walking by, this guy, this gentleman is walking down the aisle. He's an Antiguan guy and he looks at Sean and I and he says, Hey man, you want some of that homegrown good smoke? We looked back at him and we said, No man, we already have the most high. We have the Prince of Peace. We have the Sovereign One. You see, we don't need all of the things of this world to bring peace into our lives because they will only end up failing us. They will only end up leading us into disaster, leading us into hallucination. And then we've got to resolve ourselves to come back again to get another hit, to get the peace that we so desperately need because we won't get our minds straight where the source of the true peace is. See, I'm talking about peace in a hard place, real peace. We all have our own perspective of what peace is. However, here's a few things that peace is not. See, perfect peace is not the absence of problems. Perfect peace is not the absence of our trials. Perfect peace is not the absence of people. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. Well, if that person would just go on and get on with themselves and leave me alone, then I could have... No. Perfect peace is not the absence of your problems, your trials, people that you don't like, people that disgust you. It's not the absence of those things. One theologian said it like this. Jesus can create perfect peace within thy mind, though storms of trial rage without. Such as a city kept securely by a strong garrison within, though besieged without. You know what this means? That perfect peace is not circumstantial. Your peace is not connected to your situation. It's not connected to your current position. It's not connected to a raise. It's not connected to a lifestyle or a life status. It's not connected to a relationship. Your peace is not connected to a turn of events because in a turn of events, your life can be led into a disaster if your peace is circumstantial. 
your peace is connected to the one thing that doesn't change. See, perfect peace is the calm in the midst of the storm. The tranquility in the midst of a war. Perfect peace is your serenity in the midst of your strife. Your quietness in the midst of your struggle. James 1, 2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It says that perfect peace is your steadfastness in the midst of your trial. So that as you are steadfast in your tribulation, you are being made perfect in one realm. You are being made perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Meaning you got everything that you need. You have everything you need because you got Jesus. And Jesus says that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. See, I don't know who's in a storm tonight. But God wants, you, wants to give you perfect peace if you will just stay your mind on him. What does it look like to stay your mind on him? Psalms 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Did you just hear what he said? He said, we won't fear, though global warming happens. We won't fear, though the ice caps are melting. We won't fear because the doomsday clock is moving forward and not backwards. We won't fear because there's nuclear disaster everywhere we look. We won't fear because we're watching CNN and Fox News and every other negative news outlet that ain't got anything good to say. It says, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. For verse 7 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still, verse 10 says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. To stay our mind on him means to know that he is our strength. He is our refuge. He is our very present help in time of trouble to be still and know that he is God and that he will be exalted. See, when we don't stay our mind on him, we lose focus. We get distracted. Did you know that one in four accidents, car accidents, are caused by texting and driving? 25% of the time, if you're going to be in an accident, it's due to texting and driving because of you or somebody else involved in that situation. Do you know that 1.6 million accidents a year are due to distracted driving? That over 400,000 injuries, automobile accident injuries, are caused because of distracted driving every year. You see, when our mind is stayed, we reduce our chance of crashing exponentially. When you put the distraction aside, when you put the, the cell phone, the devil, aside and you start focusing on what you need to be doing, your chance of crashing decreases exponentially. And it's the same thing in our life that if we would not get distracted, if we would not lose sight, if our mind would just be stayed where it needs to be stayed at, if we would learn. If we would stay focused on his plans, on his purpose. See, too often we are desiring preference over purpose. When we should be taking a step towards God's purpose for our lives, things tend to get uncomfortable. And too many times we prefer to be comfortable. And when we should be taking a step towards purpose, we take a step towards preference because it is more comfortable. Because we are distracted from the purpose that God has for us in our life. Why? Because we are people that we love the promise, but we don't want to go through the process to get to the promise. See, life is full of a lot of promises, but it takes us going through the process to get to the promise. Yes, there's a, a promise associated with the process, but too many times we just want the easy way out with the promise without the process. But what we don't know is we can't achieve our purpose with preference, and we can't get to our promise if we don't stay our mind in the midst of the process. 
We must be still and know that he is God. We must stay our mind on him to have perfect peace. Verse 4 says, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord is an everlasting rock. Trust in the Lord. You see, when you have nothing else in the world to trust or to hold on to, trust in the Lord. See, whatever we trust in this world for will only be for a moment because at one point or another, it will fail us. You could be an athlete and in a moment, a football player like Antoine Prothrow, the greatest, the one arguably the greatest wide receiver in college football history with an incredible career in his future, with his identity built alone in football. And he can be going for a touchdown pass and a hit can come in from his side and snap his leg, ending his football career for the rest of his life. You see, we've got to stay our mind on him. We've got to trust in him. We can't trust in the things of the world because if we trust in the things of the world and our identity is built into the things of the world, at any given moment our identity can be lost when something happens to one of those things, when our life is not trusting in him. But when we trust in the Lord, we will trust in him forever. For the Lord is he who was and is and is to come. When we place our trust in the Lord, it's not a temporary thing. It's not a thing to get us from one season to the next. To get us from one promotion to the next. To get us through one difficult time in life. When we place our trust in the Lord, it's not for our conveniences. It's for us to be convicted to have that lifelong relationship with him. See, remember when I said that we ain't living for today, we're living for a time to come. When we trust in the Lord, it is a forever deal. When you make that wedding covenant, it's until death do you part. It is forever a lifelong relationship. And when you place your trust in the Lord, it is an everlasting trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How often do we worry? How often do we let the petty issues of life mess up our days. Come on, be honest with me. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and tell him, stop being so petty. Look at your other neighbor. Tell him, stop being so petty. Because too many times we want to trust in ourselves and our own opinions. We want to allow the petty things of life to mess us up. And we get frustrated by the small things that are realistically insignificant. And because of this, we often take things into our own hands, which causes us to lean onto our own understanding. Now track with me for a moment. When in fact, it's our inability and our incompetence that God really wants to glorify himself in. So when we're leaning on our own understanding and God's wanting to glorify himself in our brokenness and in our insignificance and in our inabilities to do things, we're taking the glory from God. When we should embrace it, when we don't understand things, when we don't know things, we can just put our faith and trust in him. You see, it wasn't when Israel had it all together that God said, all right, I'll take care of you. Deuteronomy 7.7 says that God said it was when Israel was at their least. It was because they were the least of all the nations that he chose them. So in the midst of your brokenness, your insignificance, your inability, know that's what God is looking for. A vessel that he can use because he realizes that you aren't caught up, you ain't full of yourself, that you ain't all about you. You're about the one that can bring you through it. It was in the midst of your weakness that he proves himself strong. See, it doesn't matter if we don't understand. I don't understand how my iPhone operates. But that doesn't keep me from using it. I just know I can click this button, turn it on, swipe right, and I can get into my phone and I can hit call and I can call my wife. I can pay my bills. I can buy a house. I can buy stuff on Amazon, have it shipped right to my house. I have no clue how all of that works. But it doesn't stop me from using it. Does it stop you? No. I don't know how my coffee pot takes water, causes it to boil over brown ground up goodness, producing liquid gold that glorifies God himself for coffee in the morning time. But that doesn't stop me from using it. 
You see, if I can trust that these things are going to work out in the natural realm, how much more should I trust in the God and the supernatural who has never failed me? I don't understand how my laptop works. You see, if I only did what I understood, I wouldn't be doing a lot of things in life. And it's true with all of us that if we only did, only use, only were a part of the things that we could understand, we wouldn't fly on an airplane. You wouldn't get in your car and drive home tonight. You wouldn't get on your computer. You wouldn't even talk to your wife because you can't understand how women think and operate. But there's some things in the natural that we do and we have trust and we have faith in. And they're not even God. But sometimes we limit God because we don't understand exactly what God is doing. We stop it and say, God, I don't see how you're going to work this situation out. I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to take it into my own understanding, and I'm going to solve this. I've already done prayed about it for 12 hours, and you ain't done nothing, so I'm going to start doing something. I've been looking for a job, and I can't find a job, so I'm going to go down there because I've been praying for it for a year, and I'm going to do something that I'm not supposed to do. I'm going to lead a life and be a part of a life and be a part of a job environment that I should not be a part of. Because I need the money. Start taking things into your own understanding because you don't understand how God is working. See, if we can have faith and trust in an iPhone, if we can have faith and trust in anything else, we should be able to have faith in the God who has never failed us. We may not understand. We may not be able to explain. But all we need to know, and if the worship team would come to the stage... Is this, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. See what that hymn says is all I have needed. What happens is it's not all that we have wanted. And so we start wrapping God around our wants rather than our needs when we got to trust in him. Because it's, he said it's in our needs that he will supply everything. And so when we start trying to make him our genie in a bottle and we don't start getting our way, we start losing out our faith. And we start forgetting that he's going to supply everything that we need, not everything that we want. Great is thy faithfulness. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Psalms 18.1 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. You know, when we talk about God being a rock or being our rock, sometimes we think of just a little stone or a little pebble. But it's actually referring to him being our fortress. And when there's a fortress that's surrounding us, when there's a fortress that we are standing upon, that means there's protection, there's defense, there's supply, there's everything that we need because he is our rock, our fortress, our refuge. Psalms 31.3 says, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deuteronomy 32.31 says this, and I love it. For their rock is not as our rock. And it capitalizes all of that. It says, our enemies are by themselves. Their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. You see, our God is a firm foundation. Jesus is the foundation, the cornerstone, in which we are all built and joined and held together. You see, the hymn says, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. See, when we realize that he is a rock and that we can take covering, we can take shelter in the time of storm, we can find everything that we need, including the provision and the moments that are difficult, we can have perfect peace because our mind is stayed on him. We're not trusting in our own understanding. We're not trusting in our own abilities. We're not trusting in the arm of flesh. We're trusting in the spiritual, supernatural, sovereign hand of God to move everything and do everything according to his glory and his will and his purpose for the good of our lives. We got to trust that he is an everlasting rock. It's when we stay our mind on him that we have perfect peace because you trust in him. You trust in him. The last two messaging and this message tonight have all had a common theme that I've preached. Just trust in God, 
Have faith in Him. Your trials are not too big. The circumstances are not too difficult. Life is not too hard. Just trust in Him. And you will have perfect peace. Which is not the absence of problems. Our perspective of peace is jaded. It's tranquility without any difficulty in life. No. You can have perfect peace in the most difficult situation you've ever experienced if you trust in God. You can have perfect peace in the midst of a loved one that has lost their life if you trust in God. You can stand up here after losing your dad and your best friend the next day and preach and encourage a congregation and have perfect peace in the midst of your utter brokenness if you trust in God. You can have perfect peace in the midst of divorce, in the midst of a battle in court trying to fight over custody for children if you trust in God. You can have perfect peace when you've lost your job if you trust in God. You can have perfect peace when you get a doctor's report that has nothing positive to say trust that God is working all things together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. Because you trust in Him. If you would stand to your feet. Rock of ages. Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee. Great is Thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies, I see all I have needed. Thy hand hath provided. Let that resonate. Everything that we need. Everything that we need, His hand provides. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. If you're in this room tonight. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. The only way you're going to have that perfect peace is if you put your faith in Jesus. And if you're here tonight, your faith is not in Christ. You're not standing on Him as a solid rock in your life. Just doing you. Just living your life for you, trying to live it up, trying to squeeze every ounce of life out of life that it has to offer. You're living for yourself. And you want to surrender your life to Christ because you realize it has left you empty, it has left you void, it has left you broken. Put your faith in Jesus. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you and you're here tonight, you need to surrender your life to Christ because you do not have perfect peace. I want you on the count of three just to slip up your hand. And I want to pray with you. I want to pray that God will bring that perfect peace that you desperately need because you don't know how you're going to make it. So you got to resolve yourself to live to a future better day. So if that's you tonight, on the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand. One, two, three. If you need to put your faith, your trust in Jesus. Come on, hands are going up. Anybody else that you need to put your faith, your trust in Jesus, slip up your hands. Amen. Well, if you did that, I want you to take another step of faith and I want you to begin to come to this altar and I want you to kneel down and start trusting in Him. Step out of the pew from where you're at and come down to these altars and I want you to start praying, God, help me to put my faith in you. Some of the altar workers are coming right now to join as well to pray with you. You just need to put your hand, put your life, put everything that you are in Him and surrender Himself to you. The worship team is going to lead us in this song. If you're here, come on. Come to the altars. It's not too late. Come and kneel and pray and surrender your life. He wants to bring peace if you will just let Him. You see, faith requires us to respond. 
Faith is not faith without a response. And so if you want perfect peace, you've got to respond to the one who's going to provide that perfect peace. And so I want you to respond right now to these altars and surrender yourself to him as these others have done.
lay your mind on him. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then here it is with verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, I get it. It's easy to get distracted. But Paul says that it's important that we take captive every thought to have this mind which was ours in Christ Jesus. That he did not consider himself a thing as God being grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this mind that is yours in Christ Jesus. Let your mind be renewed. When distractions come in, take captive every thought. See, I get it. It's hard to stay our mind on Him, but it takes work. And if we will work towards those things, it is possible because Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So it is not too hard. It is not too difficult. Your mind can and will be stayed on Him if you will just renew your mind. I want us to get ready in closing. I want us to pray, every single one of us in this room, before we close, I want us to pray over our mind. Because our mind is the biggest battlefield that the enemy has. For some of you, it is the enemy's playground. That he just ruins your life because of the things that go on through your mind. Whether it's insecurity, whether it's brokenness, whether it's your past, whether it's addictions or habits. Lust, it all starts in the mind. And I want us each individually to consecrate our minds afresh and anew tonight. And to begin taking captive everything that would try to come in. So let's take a moment. The worship team is going to lead us again quietly. But I want you to just begin interceding and saying, God, renew my mind tonight. Father, we come before you and we just ask that, God, you would renew our minds. Renew our minds, oh God, that we would not be who we were, but we would be who you want us to be. That, Father, we would be consecrated. We would not conform ourselves to this world, or be, but we would be transformed. Transformed by the renewal of our mind. Let us have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. A mind of humility. A mind of humbleness. A mind of brokenness. Not considering our status, ourselves, something to be grasped. But, Father, may we... Take every thought captive. In Jesus' name, protect our minds, surround our minds, and seal our minds. In Jesus' name. The worship team is going to lead us one more time before we close out. But I want you to press in and give God the praise and give God the victory as He is working in our lives. Come on.
God is victorious. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And I pray, Father, that we would believe you for the impossible. God, that our faith would be built. God, that you would bring perfect peace into our life as we trust in you. For you alone are sovereign. You alone are God of all. Nothing in this world can compare. The gods of this world, Psalm says, are worthless idols. So may we put our faith and trust in the one true living God. God, we bless your people. And God, as we go from this place, may we go with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. If you're in the altars praying, you can feel free to stay there and pray. But you are dismissed in the presence of God. Jesus.